Amen. Thank you, Winter. Great truth, great job. The Bible says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Go ahead and get in your Bibles if you would and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 900. Uh, before we do that, uh, I was trying to make a big deal when someone has been here 10 years. A lot of things in life change over the course of 10 years. Uh, but Paul and Ashley Schaefer have been with us 10 years now. Jackson, do you mind? They're back over there. Why don't you, uh, here's a test. Oh, excellent. Right over there. Why don't you give Paul and Ashley a hand? I mean, if you've been here 10 years, you've been mad at me at least five times <laughs> and stayed, and we appreciate that, and I do the best I can. I never try to make you mad on purpose, but sometimes it just happens, and uh, if you ever get mad at your spouse, you don't just get rid of them, all right? You work through it, and that's what we do. We're the family of God here. Should be in your Bible in 1 John chapter 2. We have been working our way in Sunday mornings uh, through a series that I entitled Great Truths Communicated with Simple Words. Profound things, of course, are best understood by most of us when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. God makes the most important things in His Word the most clear because complex things, when they're communicated to us with difficult words, are very often misunderstood or at times not understood at all. And so several months ago, from the 916 verses in our Bible that are all one-syllable words with the exception of names and numbers, I prayerfully put together the thoughts for this series. And last Sunday morning, we talked together about breaking the chains of lies. We talked about the bondage of living a lie and believing lies in contrast to the fact that Jesus is the truth and the truth sets us free. And we reminded ourselves that the worst bondage that the Jews faced in Bible times was the, not the bondage from Rome. It was the bondage of the lies they had believed from the religious traditions of Judaism that contradicted the written words of God. And we talked about making our own honesty and integrity a higher priority. The truth sets us free. We reminded one another that God's Word is truth and that we need to make an effort to learn what it says and what it does not say so that you and I can be free from the bondage of believing anything that is false. So we get to our thought today. One of the challenges we all face is to grow to look at things in life and in the next life like our Creator has revealed them to us. For the most part, the world around us has little or no concern about what our Creator has to say about life uh, now or the next life. Because they have little or no concern, they don't read the Bible, they don't ask any questions about God or life from someone who might actually know an answer. They don't really want to know, so they don't ask. For those of them among us who are trying to find and face what our Creator says about things, we have to grow to allow God to define words as He chooses to use them, rather than putting our own definitions on Bible words. If you're a student of the Bible, this doesn't come as any surprise to you, but God doesn't 
use the word destroy or prevent or meet or halt or corn the way we typically use them. And anybody who wants to be a student of the Bible has to learn some biblical terminology. By the way, if you're going to be a serious fisherman or a faithful employee at your task, you have to learn some terminology that go with that task. And so it doesn't surprise us at all that if we are going to be students of the Bible, we have to learn some word meanings. Because each word in the Bible matters. Did you know that God uses the word world in a Bible, in the Bible, in more than one way? See, just like light to us can be a fixture in the corner of the room, turn the light off, or it can be a measure of weight, how heavy was that package? Uh, The word world can have more than one meaning, and if you and I want to understand what God is trying to teach us about the world, then we have to pay attention to what context in which He uses the world. Most believers are really only familiar with the word world from what many consider to be the greatest verse of the 31,102 verses in the Bible. Most of you know it by heart, though much of our culture has no idea because they've never heard it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we think about the word world in the Bible, that is typically the way we think about it. But did you know that God warns us about the world in some of the clearest and most pointed statements in the New Testament. Most all of us have heard someone describes what goes on in our culture as a rat race. Someone said the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. Maybe children of God are not supposed to be in the rat race of this world like people who don't know Christ as Savior. There is a ophthalmologist in California. Her name is Katrina Curtiva. And last year, 2022, uh, she was surprised when an elderly patient came to her complaining that she could not see well out of her right eye. Well, when the doctor began to examine uh, the patient, she learned that this elderly woman had 23 contact lenses in that eye. She seems to have forgotten that she needed to remove the previous one before putting in a new one. When her vision got so blurry, she just kept inserting more and more contact lenses until it was so bad that she finally went to the doctor. And thankfully, they were all removed without any permanent damage. I'm I'm not telling you this to make fun of this woman. There's actually a YouTube video with about 600,000 views of the doctor pulling those contact lenses off with a Q-tip one by one. I am telling you this story to bring to our attention that you and I need to have clear vision when we look at the world. And if we don't, we will likely do things that will make our vision increasingly blurry instead of better. And like most of you here this morning, I want to look at the world around me the same way that my God and Savior look at the world. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand, please, in honor God's world, God's word. The title of my thought this morning is Friends of God are not friends of this world. 
friends of God are not friends of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Thank you, might be seated. The book of 1 John was written by the great apostle John to believers near the end of the first century. To the best of our knowledge, God had blessed the great apostle to live about three decades longer than we know any of the other apostles to have lived. You see, the spiritual adversary of our God was busy then, just like he's busy today, trying to corrupt the world and trying to hurt the work of God. You see, because the apostles and New Testament prophets that God used to pen the New Testament understood that, we find in their writings lots of warnings to believers. In fact, they warned believers far more than many in our culture do today. Fact of the matter is, is we do all need encouragement in our faith. We also need to be warned about some of the spiritual dangers, both in our culture, as well as among those who call themselves followers of Jesus. And though John is called the apostle of love by some today, uh, his epistles are filled with warnings to the people of God. He warned them because he loved them. In fact, even in just this short book, look in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 6. Notice he warns believers who refuse to live changed lives and continue to walk in darkness. He says if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's a pretty strong warning. Look at verse 10 of the same chapter as he warns believers who refuse to acknowledge and confess their sins. He said in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Well, that's a pretty pointed warning. I Listen, I've bumped into people who say they've not sinned. Listen, if you think you haven't sinned, you make God a liar because God said that all have sinned and come short of His glory. He warned believers who devalued obedience to Christ's command. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's strong. He warned believers who excused any hatred they allowed in their hearts in chapter 2 and verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. That's strong. Now you might want to call the hatred in your heart something else because you know you're not supposed to hate. But John warned us that by whatever name we call it, if it is hatred in our heart, that is you and I walking in darkness rather than walking in light. And in our text, this godly, seasoned apostle of God was moved by the Holy Spirit to warn believers about this world. Notice this warning in verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is strong talk. 
He warns them about loving the world and the things in the world. Listen, you and I should not have any deep abiding love for the world or anything in this world. That is a clear commandment to every believer in Jesus. In fact, this clear speaking apostle of God made sure his audience, which was believers, understood that you cannot love God and also love this world. I don't know what you think when you read something like that. The first thing that comes to my mind, I was the kid who always asked why. The first thing that comes to my mind when I read something like that is what is the world we're commanded not to love? What is the world about which we're warned it being impossible to love this world and love God? What is the world? Now God doesn't answer that question the way most of us wish He would answer the question. We understand the Bible is not just written to American Christians, Christians in 2023, though it is written to us. The Bible is written to believers in every age and every culture, and so rather than pick things out of the culture, uh, our culture, that would show what the world is or what we're not supposed to love, God uses principles and ways to describe things that fit every culture and every age, and notice what he means by the word world here and his admonition for you and I not to love it. He defines it in verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Did you catch the three aspects of the world that we are specifically told and commanded and warned about loving. Notice the world is driven by the lust of the flesh. Listen, sex sells in the world. And sexuality has been transformed from something God designed to be private between a husband and wife into something public that dominates commercials, TV programs, movies, and halftime shows. The lust of the flesh dominates the fashion industry. It dominates high school prom dresses. It permeates nearly every area of our culture, and many people, including believers in Jesus, wrongly consider that to be harmless. Let me just say to you this morning, our God takes the lust of the flesh outside of marriage much more seriously, and He warns us about it. I hope this morning that your life view for yourself and your family is not dominated by the lust of the flesh. But he doesn't just define the world about which he warns us as the lust of the flesh. There was three things. Notice the second one there is the lust of the eyes. Because this is separated from the lust of the flesh, we're being warned here about our desire for possessions. For being obsessed with having bigger and more and better stuff than we now have to be more like our neighbor. I think everyone here understands our world is characterized by the lust of the eyes. <laughs> the desire for bigger houses, better houses, bigger and better cars, bigger and better vacations. And people's social media image has caused many other people to burn with covetousness at this image of someone who wants them to think they're something they're not. Very few home improvement shows have anything to do with what regular people do. 
See, Sharon, we were, I was thinking about doing something in the house. What do you say we put 200 grand in a kitchen and bathroom? Now, personally, I, I think Chip and Joanna are nice people, but let me just say, that show is not helping you be content with what you have. Listen, it was just a couple of generations ago when American people were very comfortable with all the boys in one room and all the girls in, in another room. Shocking as it may seem, hus husbands and wives function with only one bathroom sink. I've got to have it! No, you don't. By the way, one of the reasons that previous generations were better at relationships than most people are today is they were forced from childhood on to learn to share and get along with other people. By the way, if you've been blessed by God with a wealth to not have to do that, let me just say one of the least wise things you can do for your children is give them each a room and each a television and each a gaming system and then just let them hang out in their room with the Apple 14 phone you've given them and train them up to not be able to get along with anybody. True. God takes the lust of the eyes more seriously than most people do today. In fact, one of the ten most basic moral commandments from our Creator is thou shalt not covet. The world could care less about covetousness. In fact, it is driven by it. By the way, I hope your life view this morning for your stuff is not dominated by the lust of the eyes. But it isn't just those two things that God uses to describe, by the, describe the world that He warns us not to love, not just the lust of the flesh, not just the lust of the eyes. In verse 16, there's a third thing there, and He says it's the pride of life. The pride of life makes this life the focus. As if there is no next life. The pride of life goes through life as if our life will never end. It goes through life as if we won't actually give account of ourselves to God, which we will whether we believe that or not. The pride of life gives no credit to life being the gift of God. By the way, you are alive this morning by the great graciousness and love of our Creator. Same reason I'm alive. You see, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life do not reflect the moral characters or values of a God, our Creator. In fact, these qualities so highly valued in the world are only temporary, and that's what he tells us in verse 17. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Listen, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. These things that characterize our world and unfortunately dominate the heart and mind and desires of so many believing people, they're just temporary because in the end, God is literally going to burn the surface of this planet and everything that is a work of man is going to burn. Now most people want to define 
the world the way we want to, find, to define it. And we think about this command from our God to not love the world, and, and we don't want to ever put anything in the world that interests us inside that warning. See, most people want the world we're not to love to just be violently dealing drugs. And that is part of the world, but God also considers the values and priorities of L.A. and New York City and New Orleans and Paris and those kinds of Nashville and places like that. God considers that the world. Most people want to consider the world we're not to be loved to not to love to be pornography and sex traffickers. And that is part of the world. But God also looks at the priorities and values of professional sports and the Super Bowl and the lifestyles of the rich and famous. God also looks at those as being the world that He tells us we are not to love. And if we love that world, we don't love Him. By the way, don't get mad at me. I didn't say that. I was telling you what He said. Most people want the world to, that we're not to love to be abusers and child predators. And that is part of the world. But God also looks at the educational elite and society's sophisticated personnel as the world. And if we're not careful, we will love when, we will love when God... I'm sorry. If we're not careful... We will love what God has warned us not to love. A few years ago in St. Joseph's, Michigan, a couple of parents named Dennis and Cindy Kovac, they didn't like the way their teenage daughter was driving. She already had two speeding tickets. And they were afraid, not just for her safety, but the safety of others. So they bought a bumper sticker for their daughter's car, and the bumper sticker read, if I'm speeding, call my parents, and then listed the parents' phone number. To the best of my knowledge, they didn't get any calls, and she didn't get any more speeding tickets, just some uh, teasing from her friends. By the way, not surprisingly, Dennis and Cindy were very pleased with the results of their warning. And when they asked the mom, here's what the mom said, that sticker may save some lives. Hear me when I say this morning, if you and I will heed this warning of our Creator to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if we will heed that warning, it will save some lives. And so in the simplest terms, all one-syllable words with the exception of the name Father in verse 16 were warned of the danger of this world. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen, to one degree or another, we are all drawn to at least one of these aspects of our world. Now, depending on our background and personality and disposition and age, that may vary among us which part of the world we're drawn to, but God has warned us against all of them, not just the ones that don't interest us individually. Let me ask you this morning, are you on guard for how this world is affecting your thinking and behavior? Our Father has warned us for our own good. Are you on guard for how this world is affecting your children's values and priorities? 
our Father has warned us for our own good? Are you guarding, guarding against obvious dark blots in our culture, but ignoring aspects of the world that seem less dangerous? So what I'd like to do this morning is just preach for a few minutes, make some observations and applications of God warning believers about the world. Please first begin in your Bible in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Observations and applications about God warning us about the world. So what are you doing this morning, preacher? I'm warning you about the world. Here's number one. Our Creator and Heavenly Father loves the people of the world. Our Creator and Heavenly Father loves the people of the world. I quoted this earlier, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now I know most of the time we just stop there with verse 16, but verses 17 and 18 are related to it and directly link and from the mouth, mouth of our Savior Himself. Notice, if Jesus said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that the part of our world we're so clearly warned against has nothing to do with loving people in the world. God loves all people in the world. That means you and I should try to love them too. God doesn't just love the Jews. He doesn't just love believers in Jesus. God loves all the people of the world. Listen, in a world that is broken by sin and Satan, the only reason anything good ever happens to anyone is that God loves the people of this world. I, I get it. You and I can lament some of the terrible things that evil people do, and we do lament them, but I want you to understand the only reason that any good ever happens, the only reason there is ever a loving home, the only reason there is ever a loving parent, the only reason there is ever a loving church, the only reason any good happens is that our Creator loves the people of this world. Can I just say to you this morning, God loves you. Please don't hear in that statement that that means that God loves everything you do. Listen, God hates sin. Yours, mine, and everyone else's. But God loves you. And you may not grasp what I just said, but every parent here understands when I say, God loves you, but He doesn't always love what you do. God doesn't love people because they do what He wants. fact of the matter is, we're all sinners living in rebellion against Him. God loves people because God is love. God loves people because we are the only creature in His handiwork that He chose to create in His own image. I'm not implying that every life is not valuable in the animal kingdom because I believe to one degree or another it is. But there is no life so valuable as a human life because you're made in the image of God. Because you and I are made in the image of God and because we're so special to our Creator, it was in the image of man that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die in our place on the cross 
God loves you. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever responded to the love of God in giving His Son for you on the cross? Have you ever humbled yourself to acknowledge that your lies, your blasphemy, your theft, your selfishness, your idolatry, your uh, just remaining ignorant of God and not paying any attention to Him being your Creator? Have, have you ever paused to just confess yourself a guilty sinner and call upon the Lord Jesus who died for you? That's what salvation is. It's trusting Christ, not trusting our good works. It's not trusting a church of any sort. It is trusting the Lord Jesus. Have you ever humbled yourself to do that? Listen, we don't call upon Christ to save us because we're worthy. We call upon Christ to save us because He is worthy. And He opened a door and He invited us and He looked out on the crowd who listened to Him just like I look out on you today and say what He said when I say, come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not an invitation to come to Me. I'm a sinner. Saved with the grace of God. That is an invitation to come to Jesus. In fact, if you're here and you've never done that in a few moments, we will have a public invitation and invite you to come to Jesus. And I would say to anybody here today, I'm glad you're here, but please don't leave like you came. Christ is inviting you to salvation and eternal life. For those of us who are already saved, if our Heavenly Father loves people, then you and I must decide to love people too. Did you ever realize that the people God loves are not like God? Which basically means the circle of our love, though it should begin with our family and our friends, it should not stop there because the circle of God's love extends to people who are not like Him at all. And though you might be here this morning and you need to start the circle of your love by just genuinely deciding to love the people God has placed in your family, there are people here who've come to already do that and you need to begin to love people who aren't like you. Let me ask you this morning, who do you love? Do you only love people in your family? Do you only love people who do what you think they should do? Do you love people who are living in rebellion against God like God loved you when you were living in rebellion against God? Do you love people who don't look like you? Do you love people that don't act like you? I want you to understand the love of our God, though it never excuses anything He calls sinful, is always an invitation to a human being of any sort, regardless of how society may value them. It is an invitation for them to come to Him to be saved. Who do you love? Would the people in your family say, yeah, I know they love me? With the people in your workplace or anyone close to you in your school, would they say, yeah, they love me? Do you even try to love anyone outside your family and friends? Listen, God has clearly warned us against loving the world, but He's not warned us against loving people. He's commanded us to love people, and then He set the example Himself for what that means. And though love is mostly demonstrated, it also includes speaking about it. Young adults and teenagers, when's the last time you told your parent you loved them? For those of you here who are older, when's the last time you told your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, when's the last time you said you loved them? Listen, I believe that 
When we tell someone we love them, it shouldn't surprise them at all because they've seen it in the way we've treated them. But I do believe at times we should speak about it. But it's not just that our Creator and Father in Heaven loves the people of the world. Secondly, if you'll go in your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. God clearly commanded us to not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. And He defined what the world is. You and I don't get to define it. And then He went on to teach us that by that He doesn't refer to not loving the people of the world. We are to love the people of the world like our God loves them. But secondly, this morning, in obedience to our God, we need to stop loving this world so much. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, notice what he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. And he's talking here about spiritual adultery. You spiritually have placed something in the place that only God belongs. Just like physical adultery is placing some person in the spot that only your spouse belongs. And that can be physical or emotional. God says, ye adulterers and ye adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. By the way, enmity is a strong version of hatred. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Is that not strong terminology? We launched our thought this morning with a simple thought through John that we're not to love the world. And we see that thought through James here expanded to warn us against being a friend to this world. In fact, it's from this text that I found our title this morning, Friends of God are not friends of this world. Have you ever thought about the uniqueness and special nature of being a friend? It's a relationship of choice. Our grandparents were chosen for us. Our parents were chosen for us. Our siblings were chosen for us. Our children were chosen for us. Our grandchildren were chosen for us. Friendship is a relationship of choice. By the way, I would always recommend that you make some of your friendships those that God chose to place in your family, starting with your own spouse and children. But after recognizing the values of the world system to be contrary to God's values, we understand this warning. Did you hear the severity of it? You cannot be a friend of God and a friend of this world. If you're a friend of this world, you're God's enemy. <laughs> you know, something wrong when the people of God are more comfortable in this world than among God's people. Listen, God's people really have nothing in common with those values that characterize our world. We're not talking about this tonight, but basically we're taught that we're supposed to be dead to those kinds of values. And though I believe we should love life as long as God gives us life, and I believe we should find and enjoy all the good things that God has given us for life, for enjoyment, hear me when I say this, this world is designed to spit up and chew anybody who would befriend it. If you don't believe that, consider the end of people like Whitney Houston and Elvis Presley. 
who both would and may very well have been followers of Jesus. But instead, they became a friend of this world. They gave their heart, their mind, their life, their effort to this world. And understand, it destroyed them and their entire family. When God says, hey, don't, be, don't love this world, don't be a friend of this world, He is not an oppressive father. He's a loving parent, just like any good parent gives their children boundaries to protect them from things they understand will hurt them that the child cannot yet see. Our Heavenly Father has warned us like this because He sees the end of what happens to a child of God who loves this world and makes this world His friend. I couldn't tell you how many believers I've known over the years who became enamored with what the world offered them. They went in beautiful and pure. They were spit out broken and wrinkled. This world sucked the life out of them. They went in strong and fresh and they were spit out, used up and disillusioned with the way the world had taken their strength and taken their beauty and taken their energy and taken their talents. This world wants what God gave you for His work and your family. And if you embrace this world and become its friend, you will become God's enemy. And so I plead with you to heed this second clear warning about the world system. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are younger at all, and if at all you have what this world defines as beauty, if at all you have what this world defines as athleticism, if you have at all what this world defines as intellect, if you have at all what this world defines by personality and likability, I want you to understand this world wants to take that from you and keep you from giving it to God and the good of your own family. Hear me when I say you will never regret giving your life and focusing on Jesus and the people God placed in your gene pool. But it's not just that we're warned against the danger of being a friend of this world. Lastly, go in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. By the way, I think most of us, in light of those two warnings we just read, find it quite amazing at what the modern American church prioritizes. It doesn't take a brain surgeon or much of a study to history to understand that the American church, by and large, for the last 50 years has increasingly imitated this world. The modern church has, by and large, imitated this world's music. The modern church has, by and large, imitated this world's view of appearance. The modern church has by and large uh, embraced this world's view of priorities. Listen, the most famous name in American Christianity, Joel Olstein, wrote a book called Having Your Best Life Now. And let me just say, you cannot be any more contrary to New Testament Christianity than that idea. Notice this clear warning again. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice this, and be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you noticed how contrary all these New Testament commandments are for our relationship with the world and what goes on in so many cases? Not just with churches, but with individual believers. Here, we're commanded not to be conformed to this world. When I think of conformity, I think about pouring water into a glass jar of something that's shaped, and that water just conforms to whatever shape that glass is in. God says to you and I as believers in Jesus, He says, listen, don't you conform your shape to the shape of this world. Don't you allow your mind and your heart to be molded, to be like this world with its values on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Don't you allow yourself to be molded like that. Listen. We have people regularly come here who never come back because they don't like 40 minutes of Bible preaching and teaching. And they don't like the fact that our world doesn't sound like whatever they were listening to uh, on their uh, earbuds and nobody listens to their radio anymore. Can, can I just tell you, when someone walks into here as the house of God and people of God, they should be treated differently. We should not look like this world. We should not act like this world. Our music should not sound like this world. I, I get it. There, there, there's a lot of gray area in there. I, I get that. I'm just saying that you and I have a responsibility as individuals and as a church to understand and heed the warnings of our Heavenly Father about what's around us. It's an amazing thing to me that anybody with any knowledge of even recent history understands that American culture in the last 50 years has deteriorated greatly, starting with our homes. And there's probably very few people who wouldn't also say that, you know what, in the last 10 years, it has deteriorated at even a greater rate. Do you not see the inconsistency in out of one side of our mouth talking about how our culture has deteriorated and out of the other side of our mouth trying to make the Lord's church or us as individual believers like the world out there? 38 years ago when I heard the gospel for the first time as a 24-year-old man, I'd lived in the world and so I know what it is. And I'm glad that when I walked into the church where God saved me, that it was not like the world. People were kind, warm. They seemed glad to be there. They sang as if what they sang was under the Lord. They all had Bibles. When that man stood up to preach and teach the Bible, I watched them open up their Bible and follow along. And as I got to know those people better, I, I learned that they were all very imperfect. But you know what I found? That by and large, they wanted to be more like Jesus than our world. What do you want? God could not have been any clearer. 
I have no doubt. There, there's people, you come here every week and you wish Bible Baptist Church was more like our world. Can I just say to you, you have it backwards. You never win the world being like the world. You win the world being better than the world. Different. For Christ's sake. You quietly stand.